difficult. Rabbeinu Bachai is really describing the upside, the advantage of having bitachin. And the last thing we mentioned is that the more bitachin one internalizes, being completely reliant on God alone in one's pursuit of making a living, which will be basically the topic until the end of the introduction, how much effort is needed for me to receive God's blessing is an open-ended question. Absolutely, we have to make some effort. A person is not allowed to do nothing and have bitachin in Hashem. That's not the way God made the world. And I'll give a couple of very important examples soon. That's not written in her, but that Hasidus underlines. Um, so he told, uh, the more bitachin, the more the person is going to, let's t- stop traveling as much as he or she thinks they need to, to make the parnasa. Because the same great God that's there is here. We're going to elaborate on that. And he tells the story of someone who's called a perushim, Venemar al-Echad min perushim page 30 in the white books. A parush means someone who's separated from the world. A parush in this context is someone who really wants to be observant beyond the letter of the law. Now, in what area? So that's the whole point he's going to make. A person can be very observant in one area, and that same person can be lacking the basics in another area. So there is a parush, and there is a certain amount of, let me say it like this, that when it comes to keeping the laws, when it comes to keeping the mitzvahs, no one should, God forbid, say, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Since I'm not keeping mitzvah aleph, I'm not going to keep any. That's not a good argument. The opposite. Just because I'm failing in one area, which is an issue that I have to own up to, so therefore I should fail in all areas. Obviously, one thing is not connected to the other. And no one is a tzaddik. But no one should say, since I'm not on the higher level, I'm not going to keep another mitzvah. Begin doing what you could, and then we'll start dealing with the ones that we're challenged with. However, however, when it comes to behaviors that are beyond the letter of the law, there is a place to argue that Rebbe didn't, didn't accept what I'm saying now in our generation. But we find throughout other great leaders that if you want to go beyond the letter of the law, whoa, 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 first keep the basics. And then go beyond the letter of the law. How this person was a parush, I don't know. But that's a title given to people that are very um, mahader, beautiful, or very mahmed in a certain area. And they really feel that you know they, are, they graduated from the basics. Now they're already a parush. You can't be a parush if you don't have bitachin. Because bitachin is a basic. That will be his argument. You said keep the basics. Now, what are the basics? Uh, all the 613. Oh, Gavalt. Oh. What's a parush? 613. A parush is a word that is used for someone who's going beyond the letter of the law in certain areas. Now, the word parush literally means someone who's separated from all of everyone else. Machmer? A super machmer person. But I would say like this, that if I'm machmer because I'm buying a beautiful esrig, it doesn't make me into a parush. Mm-hmm. A parush basically means a person who would... Um, minimize or completely cut out any social interaction with others who are not on his or her level. There is a place for that if that person is indeed the great tzaddik. The Balshemtiv was completely against the parush, the concept of a parush. He really he feels that we have to be always interacting with the world, and the greater the tzaddik, the more the tzaddik will interact. But there is still a concept. There were people that felt that they are they are in such a high level. They're not going to interact with the commoners. 
You want to be a parish? Then have real bitachin. You don't get to skip a basic mitzvah and then to act holier than them. I do get, if God forbid I'm not keeping Shabbos yet, I should keep um, kashrus. I shouldn't say if I'm not keeping Shabbos, who am I to keep kashrus? No, no, no. This is a mitzvah, that's a mitzvah. But being a parush, you're going beyond, you're separating yourself from the people, then you have to keep the basics. So he's trying to make a point that you can have a person that's a parush, and he traveled, he made a very long journey, that when he already began to behave in this removed from everyone else way, you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You're looking at me like that. No, I'm like deep in thought. No, you have to. You don't, you, you don't know people. I mean, you grew, you grew up in Borough Park. I'm saying there are holier people that they, they don't look at anyone, they don't talk at anyone. Oh, yeah, they look at the floor. Okay, that's the parish. That's the but that's beyond the letter of the law. So you want to be a parish, you have to have bitachim. Right. If you want to keep Shabbos, you can't say you don't have bitachim, don't keep Shabbos. God forbid. It's bad that I'm not keeping, I don't have bitachin, I should also not keep Shabbos. But if you want to be a parush, you have to have the basics. So he went on a business trip, far away, and he found the actual idol worshiper in that city where he traveled. And this parush, again, this is, he, he spoke down to him, because he was a big parush. He saw a person worshiping idols, and he told him, Kama atem the you guys are in the ultimate state of blindness. You have so little understanding by you worshiping the stars. Well, Parush, they separate themselves from speaking nicely to others. But Tarushin, they like speaking down to others. That's the Parush. So he was giving Musa. Now, he told them the truth. He told them, you guys are worshiping idols. But he didn't speak to him as a person to person, which is always more effective. He spoke down to him. And that um, Amgushi means a, magi- a magician. Amgushi is a, is a derogatory way of calling an idol worshiper, someone who's involved in the dark arts, and he's dirty. That Amgushi told him, Uma ato evet, yeah, I'm worshiping idols, and who do you worship? So he told him, I worship the creator who provides food, who runs the entire world, and there's no one like him. And this idol worshiper got him. So Amaloy Amgushi, so this Amgushi says that your actions contradict your words. You're telling me that you are the smart one. You Jew, right? You worship the one God that is in charge of all the world. God can do anything. Yeah? So why are you here? If you would believe in what you're saying, why did you have to travel so far to make a living? The same one God, the same God here, same God there. There's only one God. He's providing food to everyone no matter where they are. At least he had the humility to, to acknowledge he was stumped. And he immediately turned around and he went back to a city. There was a story that many are, are told when we were young. I heard the story in Cheder, my Brazilian Cheder, that there was, you know, these are good stories to make this point. Just it's a more updated story. This is a little bit like the idol worshiper got the better of him. This is what happened. That there was a yid that, that decided, the couple decided, this is again, this is from a very Haredi background, that the man, he's going to basically be learning the whole day in Koilo, and she's going to be the one on top of this and that and the other and the other and the other. Also, right, the partnership, the equal fair partnership, right, you know that she's going to be the one uh, making the living. And it came to a point where she couldn't. So she explained to her husband that it's, the ideal is very beautiful in theory. It's not working. You, you can't 
Okay, this is a normal a couple. See, at least they were taught that. So he said, okay. So he has to go make a living. So he goes out, listen to the story. He was a very learned person. The first time he's going out to make a living. Now, I don't know if he went to a job interview. When he went out, he passed by a garbage dump that they were living in a modern world. And then you didn't have garbage trucks. Every city had an ashpa. And something was shining out of the ashpa. And he takes a look and he finds a golden coin. Picks up the golden coin. And as he's walking home, his first thoughts were, okay, God is the provider. God obviously wants me to sit and learn the whole time. So now that I cannot be relying on my wife, I'm relying on God and God provided for me. But then he thought, no, if this would have come from God, God would not provide to our family through garbage. This was meant for someone else. This is not my coin. And then he's thinking, but maybe not. Listen, who finds a golden coin in the garbage dump? And listen, I have to go to work. It's either going to work. And then he says, no. He says, I am betachen. I know that this is all from God. And this coin was a test. This coin is not for me. And as he came to that resolution, he's already home. He's in his thoughts. And his wife sees her husband for the first time in his life. He's coming home with a golden coin. So she says, Mazel tov. Good, you're the breadwinner. Let's go buy food for Shabbos. She says, no. <laughs> he says that I came to the resolution that this coin was to test me. And he told his wife that if God won't provide for us um, money directly, I'm going to go to work. I'm not going to take a coin from the garbage. This is not from God. And as they're having a very happy, lively discussion, there was a knock on the door. This is the stories of my childhood. And two people from a big city, very wealthy people, were having a business dispute. And they knew that he's very learned. And he did not know any of them. He was like completely objective. He was no bias. And they decided that they're going to ask him. Okay? And he was like a qualified. He was very learned. And he sat down. And after a few hours, he came up with some brilliant solution. That were like, wow, that resolved the machlekes. And they were so excited with him that they left him a bag of gold. And that's, that story is to make the point that God is the provider. That will be a big part of Bitochen. Not that God is only our provider. God is much more than that. But in the context of making a living, which will be the topic until the end of the introduction, God is the provider. And I want to share a few words uh, as much as we can read inside. Uh, and this is very important. And I hope people that come every week should listen to this. People in the non-Chabad world use the word hishtadlus, meaning the effort that we have to make, which does not contradict betachen. We we have trust that God will give whatever we need, but God wants for us to make an effort. In Lubavitch and in Chabad, and really people who understand Hasidus, ultimately use the word, we have to make a kli or a keli. I know it sounds similar, the spirit is the same, but it's a more accurate word. I'm saying this biasly. I'm a proud Chabad Chassid. And the word that Rabbeinu Bachaya uses for this concept, and once you get this, you'll push and understand what he's writing a lot better, is the word Siba. Siba means a cause. What does he mean with the word cause? Who is the ultimate original cause? Hashem. Hashem is like the cause of all causes. 
And all of the means through which you get your needs are means that God is using that they should cause for you to get what you need. I'll just give you an example that uh, God gives us food and food, fast food. So if I have food that's raw and it's not meant to be eaten raw, so the, 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 the pot, the fire is called a kli, we will call it, or he will call it a siva. It's the means or the cause through which God is providing. The pan is not providing me with sustenance. And by the way, neither is the meat. It's God. But God is doing it through the meat that's through the pan. And we have to be part of the siva. Being part of the siva doesn't contradict the emis that God is the provider. But God is providing through certain means and we make hishtadlus, or let's use, we make the means, we make the kale, we make the vessel, we make the channel. The channel means the means. This, this, this is nuance, very important to have. I'll tell you another, a better example. God is the provider. God gave us the mana. The mana for the tzaddik fell in front of your door. But you know what was still needed? You have to eat it. What is your mouth chewing the food doing? Your mouth is the seba that really God is using to give you your sustenance. You become part of the channel through which God gives you what you need. You're not sustaining yourself. God sent you the food, Amazon delivery package in front of your door. Mamish. Without having to pay. With money, we pay through keeping the mitzvahs. There is an interaction over here. It's sad they got it in front of his or her door. But there are, there are many layers through which God affects you getting what you need. And we should be one of those layers with the understanding that we're not the cause, we're not the provider, we are the Siba, in the words of Rabbeinu Bahaya. We are making a keli, or we are the keli, or in the words of the religious world today, you're making your hishtadlis. But I would rather use the words, you are the keli, and you make a keli, because when you say the word keli, you are clearly underlying, like, when I do hishtadlis, when I make an effort, and the effort bore fruit, people can still fool themselves to think that it was my hishtadlis. When we, the reason why Hasidim choose the word keli, which means make a utensil, is like, for example, a person is thirsty, just an example. You putting out the pot, the pot is not the water. What you need is not a pot, you need water. But if water were to fall and you don't have a pot, you won't be able to capture it. That's the metaphor of a keli. Part of the keli is you. I am meant to make myself a keli. I am the keli. Like when I'm chewing the mana or today when God puts food on my table and it's God's doing, it comes through many kalim or many sibas. He calls it a siba. And I am meant to choose to be a siba with the understanding that God is the provider and I'm giving my teeth and my mouth over to God. To, they should be used in a way through which God is giving me sustenance. God is giving me sustenance. And it's coming through the food, through my body that chewed it, through my digestive tract, through the job, through the effort. All of that is the, a layer of a siba, part of the keli in the words of Hasidim, or part of the shtadlus and the more normative out there expression that we use, but always God is the one providing. Now, how many layers, how many sibas must there be? We don't know that. Like the example of the mana. The mana 
the only thing that we needed to add, the only kelly we needed to do is to put it in the mouth. Other than the body, the teeth, and then the, you know chewing it. Other than that, everything was ready. Once you already, if, if once you have to already cook the food, then you already have two seaboys that are needed, two preparatory kalim. You have to cook the food, you have to eat the food, and then you know you can take it back, and then you have to go to work. So there is a series of seaboys, and the more seaboys, the more people forget that God is the provider. And as we will learn inside the Sefer, not in the introduction, but that's really what he's trying to convey until the end. Of the, in, don't travel to do business. Why not? You can argue. Sometimes there's an opportunity there that you don't have here. Yes and no. By the laws of nature, yes. By the laws of nature, yes. Could be the opportunity what is there and not here. But when we remember that God is the provider, the more betachen, that will be the key. The more betachen, the less seaboys are going to be needed. Our choice of pursuing the livelihood over there in itself blocks Hashem's desire, so to say, to feed us more directly. And it's going to be now more through the laws of nature. And by the laws of nature, everything has to go through many, 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 many steps. That's a very big hop over here. So if someone were to say, what do you mean? I'm, I'm living in the city. I have no offer. I got an offer of working, but I have to go over there to New York. I have to move. <clears throat> Should that person move or not? It's not a black and white answer. Because if that person doesn't yet have full bitachen, which is very difficult to live with bitachen, then God, who's the provider, will only provide you through more layers, through more seaboys. But if a person, and that's part of why he's speaking so much about sustenance, because that's a great example. It's not yes or no. The more the betachim, the less sibois God wants to use. Siba, the word siba means literally a cause. The word siba is what he uses as keli, or what people are familiar with the word hishtadlus. Like how much hishtadlus? There isn't a black and white answer. Should I work six hours a day or five hours a day? You can't answer that question black and white, but you, what you could say correctly from, from the Rabbeinu Bahaya is that by the laws of nature, there is a certain amount of work that you have to put in. The more the betachin, the less work you'll have to put in. The more the betachin, it goes together. Like the story that I just shared, that this Yid had so much betachin and he was willing to go to work. He wasn't forcing God's hand. He had so much betachen that God will provide that he didn't even want to take the siba of a golden coin because it was found in the garbage dump. So do you think it's appropriate to pass something up? You know, there's that story of a person drowning and it says, oh, Hashem's going to save me and the helicopter comes. And he says, no, Hashem's going to save me. And then he let the helicopter pass and then he drowned. I'll I'll answer your question by asking a question. Mm -hmm. And I think this is is an important idea. Yosef HaTzadik, not your story, which is a great metaphor. Actually, Yosef Atzadik, our Yosef Atzadik, who was in jail, wrongfully so, for 10 horrible years. Who knows someone in jail for 10 years? In an Egyptian, it was horrible. And he had an opportunity, he saw an opportunity of getting out. He did a favor to someone who was going to be again in power, and that person had a Pharaoh's ear. God sent him the helicopter. All Yosef Atzadik did was he asked that person, Please tell Paroi that I'm innocent. And it says that God said, you're relying on him, not on me. Stay in jail another two years. It says in the Zohar, 
that if Yosef's brothers would have been offered the same opportunity, if they would not have taken that opportunity, they would have been punished. If someone is not on the level of Yosef at Sadiq, if they see an opportunity out and they don't take it, they are sitting for not taking it. That's exactly what I'm trying to convey over here. That how much Ishtadlus, or how many Sibois, or how much Kali is not a black and white answer. The point he's going to make here very clear is the more the Bitochen, and Bitochen you can't trick. See, I can, I can do an action whether I'm there or not. External, I can fake it. I can do it. Whether my heart is in it or not, I can make it. I can do something. Bitochen is a, is a certain mindset and emotional set. You can't fake it. Either you are there or you're not there. Either you have bitachon or you don't. And it's not black and white. There are more and more and more bitachon. The more bitachon I have, hand in hand, that will that will also express itself with me knowing that I don't need so many boys. I don't need so much shtadlus. The lesser bitachon I have, I still believe that God is the provider, but God is not going to put gold through my window. So just like I have to go to work, I have to go to work over there. And, and where do you draw the line? It's not clear where you draw the line. The advantage of having more bitachin is that the more bitachin you have, the less hishtadlus you have to make, the less of a keli you have to make, or the less effort you have to put into the keli that you're making, because it's going to be direct from God to you. And all that would still be needed from you is to chew the food. We will always have to do something. There is never a case where you do nothing. We're not passive over here. We are doing the keli. God is bringing the light in. And we are part of the keli. The life that Hashem gave us means the, the soul and the body. The body is the keli. Begin with that. So taking care of the body is taking care of the keli. To receive God's light. How much do you have to take care of your body? Same question. Where do you draw the line? It's not clear. The more the betachen, there's always going to be some effort needed. What level? Depends how great betachen. And great tzaddikim. On the level of Yosef at Sadiq, even more than the other tribes, all he needed to do was to choose. Like, like the minimum of the minimum of the minimum. And on that level, making any extra effort, so in going back to answer directly, if Yosef at Sadiq would have been in the flood and there would have come a ship, he would be in the right to say, I'm not taking the ship. Metaphorically. Which is exactly what happened with, with the Sadham Mashkin. And anyone other, even Sadiqim, but not on the level of Yosef Atzadik, they're obligated to take it. This is the best, let's go back over here. Should a person travel for business? He's going on, the, now I want to say a few things, like I mentioned last time, and it's important. Some families do well when the, when, when the, when the guy travels a little bit. It's not a funny, it's a fact. So let him travel, That's, that alone is a mitzvah. Some families do horrible, that has to be taken into account. Another thing, the travel, the danger that they had then, you don't have today. I know it's not healthy, but then it was mamish dangerous. And it would, it would really wear a person out. A lot of trips were, Pashid, you were walking or you were sitting in a carriage with no shocks. I'm saying it was difficult to travel. Today, there's luxurious travel. All of that should be taken into account. But he's saying that, why would a person who has the advantage, I want to say in the positive, of a person who has higher levels of bitachin is that less keli will be demanded of you. It won't be wrong for you to make less of a keli. A person on a, you're a parush, you're a parush, good for you. Then stay and work in your city. You're, if you're a parush, 
then you're not going to go and, 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 and go say that God can only provide for me over there. Go ahead. Is it true that to base whether someone should get up and move or travel, you should try and live in the city where your level of bronchite or your, like your family is? Is that one of the biggest... I would say that, again, we're in Lubavitch, so the biggest reason to travel is not to earn a livelihood, but the biggest decision to travel is that if you came to the understanding that your family's presence over there would be beneficial over there more than it's beneficial Yiddishkeit right over here, then you should travel. So many stories with Lubavitch Rebbe's, with all of our Rebbe's, people who have no parnos, travel. And they went to the Rebbe, they told the Rebbe, I can't make a living here, I, I, I got an opportunity there. The Rebbe told them, good, go, but don't forget that when you go over there, teach over there, get involved, be a giver when it comes to Yiddishkeit. And you have to imam stories that the chassid went and he was very successful and he came back to the Rebbe and the Rebbe told him, how is your communal involvement? He says, Rebbe, I don't have enough time. I'm making a living. The Rebbe told him the whole reason why you moved was not to make a living. That's the point. That you think God would not be able to provide for you over here. The same God here, the same God there. Why did you move? Because that was the way God was telling you that you're needed over there. So that's the way we would answer that question. And the Rebbe was always for people choosing to move if they feel that the city there would benefit from their presence more than the city here. Just to say, in that context, just in that context, any Jew that lives in any large city should not move because there's so many Eden here. You know, when you live in a small city, many people don't find a place for them to be active. When you live in a when you when you live in a place like this, there's a millions, there's a million Jews here. I know that you can give there as much as you can give here, but normally that justification does not come into play. So it's the opposite of the way you worded it. But that's because uh, the Rebbe had a very unique way of looking, of making these choices. But coming back over here, so Limor, I mean, you came. This is a very. The concept is is that betachen is levels. The more the betachen, the less of a keli we have to make, and we can't fake it. A person cannot not have betachen. And then say, I'm not going to make the extra effort because if God wants to feed me, I made enough effort. No, by the laws of nature, the more you work, the more you're going to eat. You want to have this special connection to God, which we all have in potential, then make it. And we have to make it. The more betachen, the less kaili. If I don't have betachen, if I'm honest with myself, if I don't rely on God, but then... Different levels of betach on different areas of their life. That's right. So in one area there could be very little siba. One area they don't need a lot of siba. Right, and then and something else that happens during the day they need many. That's right. So so they have to work work on that. I think the I I don't think the goal will be to come with the exact measuring stick. The bigger message is is that when it comes to how much effort do I have to make versus how much am I God reliant, that there isn't a fixed formula, but there must be a consistency. And I think the manna is the great example. Even when God gave us manna, we still needed to eat. There was never a time that God gave us without us making effort. I need to chew the food. Like I said, and then the next level is you have to cook it and chew it. Then the next level is you have to buy it. Then the next level is I have to go make the money to buy it. Then the next level is, okay, how much effort do I have to make in my work to make the money? Do I have to even travel on top of that? So I'm adding layers and layers and layers. And all of these layers are, by the laws of nature, it's a layer. Are they needed? It's up to my bitachen. The less bitachen, it's a catch-22. So the less reliance someone is in God, 
the more they're going to have to go around. And they can be, they'll be very successful. Because God is the provider, but you have to make more kale. Okay. So that's on page 31. That the benefits of having bitachin will automatically, this comes in hand, will give a person minuchas hanefesh, which is a, a, a inner type of peace, whether it's emotional peace or mental peace, and even physical bodily peace from all of the difficult activities that come from choosing work that are very difficult for the body, that tire the body. No one optionally jumps and gets the hardest job. But many times people say that I, I need a job and that's what's available, so you gotta do what you gotta do. If I don't, if I don't have enough betachen, you take that job. The advantage of having a higher level of bitachin is that I will then be in the right to say that why would God provide for me through doing something that's hurtful to my body? It doesn't make sense. God wants me to take care of my body. It's going to be, it's not from God, like this chassid. Why should I take the coin from the pile heap? God is not going to give me food through a pile heap. Why would he do that? And the person will automatically abandon all works that might give a lot of money, but working for the government always was a very profitable work. That's the, the way it works, because ultimately there's, you know, the pocket is too deep. So whether you showed up or not, whether you provided the good service or not, once you got the government contract, tragically, people always abuse that. And the disadvantage of working for the government is that you are bound to adhere to the rules of the government, which might be beneficial or might not be beneficial. And also there's a lot of corruption around government. So a person who says, I'm not going to take a governmental job, I don't want to be involved with corrupt people. A person with more betachin has the right to say that. And what will they benefit? They're going to benefit that they're going to work amongst honest people who are held more accountable and there's less corruption. Allah 30, page 32, a person who chooses to trust in God, who toiveya, he has the right, I'm going to translate it different than in the English, toiveya means to demand. Misibai Satarev. He, he, he will be the one who gets to choose what will be the means through which God will provide for him. Because that's all mind work. It's all mind work. Now, what exactly is the work? We're going to have seven chapters of the work. He didn't even describe yet perfectly what is Betachen, but the advantage of having Betachen is that the more Betachen, then you get to determine what keli or what siba, that's the word misiba, is what siba will God use to give you your sustenance. And obviously you will then, if you have the right to choose, you'll choose that which will uh, give you the least work for your body and it's going to give you the least worry for your heart because who doesn't want to have a more peaceful, restful life? Sounds amazing. Yeah. Okay. The question is, why isn't everyone on that line? Because it's difficult to fully be reliant on God. You know, the, the joke, the good joke that a person is taking a hiking and they fell off the cliff and they hopped on a little branch and the branch is beginning to crack. And this person who thought he was an atheist, now he's about, he's looking down, he's, he says, God, if you really are up there, tell me what to do. So he hears this booming sound from the heavens, Chaim, I'm here. Let go. He looks down. He looks up. He shouts, is there any other God up there? <laughs> in other words, having bitachin in Hashem, as we will see, being reliant on God will ultimately come hand in hand in me assuming that which God wants of me.
Make a what? Me taking on to do that which Hashem wants from me to do, which is generically, if you want to word it, for me to keep all the mitzvahs, which is not which is not that easy. It's impossible to have bitachin without being fully observant. It goes hand in hand. Because it's like, it's a relationship where two people rely on each other. And that's why God created us in a way that we are meant to get married, and we have children, and we have parents, and we know exactly how it works when two people rely on each other. If any party breaks that trust, you broke the trust. Right? You got me, but I don't got you. Never works. But we're not framing it in the context of be from. We're framing it in the context of have bitachin. And you should know that God has full bitachin in us. We spoke about this first night. Look at the world that God made. God gave us the ability to blow up his world. There is a button somewhere in this world that if you press it, you send, I don't know how many nuclear, you can blow up God's world. God is trusting us that we won't do it. That's a lot of trust. Would you trust your kid with your car? I don't think so. You shouldn't. It's not right. They're going to hurt others and they're going to hurt themselves in any way you want to order this. God trusted us with his world. God trusted us with his world. God has the greatest level of betoch and God does not intervene. And the proof is that in the past when you had monsters like Hitler and Stalin, God did not intervene. God trusts us. That's betoch. But that was also his plan. That's another topic. I don't want to go there. I'm not going to go there. I'm just. I want to just emphasize that what he's really going to be getting at when he speaks about this bitachin, like if bitachin is so great that the more bitachin I have, then it gives me the right to make less effort to achieve that which needs to be achieved. I always will have to make some effort, but I will have the moral right of like here. I'm not going to choose a job over there. It's better for me to work over here. Ah, you schnutter! You don't have money. Go chop what you have. No, no, no. God is going to help me. I'm reliant on God. I have the right to say so if I'm taka reliant on God and the more reliant I will be on God, the more I will execute, I will be faithful to those areas in which God is reliant on me. Because there's no way that God is reliant on me and I break his trust. I cannot be reliant on God. How do you feel when that happens to you? We all know that. Right? Someone that you trust, who trusts you, they broke your trust and then they want to they confide in you. You say, no, no, that's broken. I don't trust you anymore. Okay, so why is God different? He's not. All of these relationships are models that we should see to understand better what is really going on between us and God. That answers your question. So trust is great, but trust will become a two-way street. I would even argue people are more reliant in self to be more free from God. They understand it. I don't want to meet your demands, God, and I'm not going to rely on you. I'll take care of myself. Live and let live, God. And God says, fine, that's what you want. Live and let live. And many people live their lives that way. And God is the least intrusive being in the world. There's no to hate. And God still helps us on top of that. Because he's a compassionate and he's a parent. Betachem means no. Betachem means that we got this thing going on. There's something that God wants from me and there's something that I want from God. I want from God life. Start with that. Life and health and a whole list. And God wants from us to keep his mitzvahs. That's what God wants. And God entrusted our people with his holy title. 
And that's the shvuot, the oaths. It was a double marriage. We swore to God that you can count on us, and God swore that we can count on him. Parenthetically, to get a little bit off topic and some controversy that when the state of Israel was founded, and, and many in the Haredi world were very much against its founding, based on a tradition that we have, is that when the second temple was destroyed, that we made another oath with God. We took an oath by Mount Sinai and by the, by the second temple that we knew it's going to be for thousands of years. We swore to God that we will only come back to Israel when you'll send Mashiach. And God swore to this people that even though we're in exile, he will never abandon us. So many of some Haredi camps, the Mizrahi camp, Rabbi Cook, says God broke his oath by the Holocaust, we can break our oath. That's a big statement to make. But he has a point. He said that, look, look at what happened to us. You abandoned us, you broke your oath, we break our oath. No, it's bitachin, it has to be a two-way street. There's no one-way bitachin. It does not exist in any relationship that we know. Why would it exist with God? That's why Yosef Atzadik, who always did what God wanted, he was talking, he should have been even more reliant on God because God would have come through to him without any effort. Just eat the food. Walking out of jail would have meant you have to still walk out of jail. God is not going to pick you up and take you out of jail. You have to just walk out of there. But to nothing else. And that's why he writes in the second paragraph on page 32 that this person will only choose an occupation that's going to be helpful to his entire observance. Mm. Because that's that's really going to be ultimately where you find the other side of Bitachim. That we trust in God and God can trust in us. So it's impossible for a person to make a Siba or a Kali or Hishtadlus in anything that's contrary to his will. Even the type, if something will demand time and effort that's not according to my nature, I won't do it. And by the way, you should know, certain people, they need heavy work. God made their body in a way that they need to schwitz. So by men, young men sometimes, then they should take hard work. Whatever you need, a person should understand so it's God is using me. I'm part of God's scaling. That's the key. I am part of Hashem's scaling. Hashem wants to feed me. I'm part of the solution. So if someone was blessed with intelligence, use your intelligence to make a living. If someone was blessed with, with strength, use your strength to make a living. Whatever it is, emotional intelligence. People should, when people say, find out your talent, that's, that's going with this. Because you should be used to make your scaling. But who is the provider? God is always the provider. And never to forget that. And never to forget. And as it goes on beautifully. The footnotes are really interesting. Oh, beautiful. Helpful for his Torah. Yeah. And then it quotes the Lubavitcher Beautiful. This Hayyim Yom. He writes himself over here that when a person, the more we talk on a person has, they'll come to a point with a, with a knowledge that no matter how much you will work, you won't earn one cent more that was determined for you. And no matter how little you work, you will make all the money that was destined to you, but you have to work a little. I'm just adding that words. I'll give you a great example. If you read the Chumash in the desert, God gave us the money. Do you know that everyone was supposed to take a certain amount? The Oymer amount, which is five pounds. What happens if you took more? Huh? Didn't it get rotten? Yeah, when you took more, when you came home, you still had, you only had the five pounds. The other, it melted. You know what happens if you took less? It, it grew. It, you know, you always came home 
But Moshe told everyone, take an Omer. So the question is, why? If, if I take a half an Omer, so instead of carrying five pounds, I get to make my trek and only carry two and a half pounds, and, it's gonna, and I'm going to have the same amount anyway, so why should I take the whole five pounds? Or why should I go all together? No. I am part of God's Kaylee. We. I'm God's Kaylee to give me food. That's the beauty here. Like I said, God gives you the money. You have to chew it. You have to go get it. But how much do you need? Determine how much you need. And go make the effort. And you're going to earn all of that what you need. And if you didn't earn it, it means you didn't need it. Now, does that mean that a person who's starving, they don't need more? No, it doesn't mean that. Then it can mean that a person, God forbid, is doing some sort of tikkun. There's a concept called a test. There's all many other things in play. But the idea of bitachin is, is that in principle, God gave me life. God didn't just give me life and tell me, Shalom, knock yourself out for the 80, 100 years. It doesn't work that way. God gave me life and God is going to give me sustenance and God is going to give me everything that I need. I have to be part of the tool through which God will give it to me. Money, so to say, For sure. to things that are like, not needed. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, 100%. Bills. I wouldn't even say bills, even if no, you. No, bills, but like, I'll go. No, people say I have doctor's bills. Like, you spend the extra money on, on a level of entertainment that, that, would, that didn't do any good for you. Didn't need it. It was also wasted. So you went. So you did that. So, you know, sometimes it's too much. There are many things that are good in itself, but if they're done in excess, they in themselves become bad. Having the second state, you don't need that. It's waste. Why did you work? Like the whole thing, chaval. Overworked, overate, overburdened, or for what? Okay. And he quotes Psukim. And page 33, and he says that a person who will have the tochen will have less anguish in his business, meaning that even if someone owes him money, and many people go crazy, money is owed to you. Your hard-earned money, and they tricked you. Many people never get over it. The person won't suffer if that were to happen because so no. Me and God, it's me and God. The more me and God, the less the less nature is important. Me and God always means some some kli. My body is a kli. A little bit of effort is a kli, but I can minimize that, and 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 the person will understand that God gives me what He knows is good for me, even though I wouldn't have chosen it. But ultimately. God knows more. God knows better what's good for me. And he gives the example on page 32. He gives a beautiful example of a mother and a child. You have an infant child. And the mother cleans the child. And she diapers the child. And she swaddles the child. And sometimes it's not that comfortable. Today you say you vaccinate your child if you do that. Or you take it to a doctor. Whatever you're doing to your child. Sometimes the child is not comfortable. But the child knows deep down that she's doing it for my good. They know that. That's why they're not gonna, they're gonna cry when the doctor gives the shot and the mother's holding the baby and then the baby is fine with the mother. They're not gonna be traumatized because they, they have betachen that the mother did not do it to hurt them. A baby will feel that. They won't have. So therefore, even though they hurt and they cried, but they have betachen, it was for my good. People who have that relationship with God that they rely fully on God. As God can fully rely on them, they will have that type of that even when things in life happen that is beyond 
that is beyond their ability to comprehend. It's very painful, but they're going to accept if they can't make it better, that this must be for my good. Because God is only here for my good. God created me for my good. God did not create me to torture me. That's not the God that we believe in. That's the Sheket. And these are very easy words to say. When people go through big challenges in life, these are very hard words to live at. And that's where we have to be honest. Once if I am going through an Asoyan and something in my life is happening that's so painful that I can't accept it. I'm not saying understand. We should never understand things that are ununderstandable, but accepting it. Accepting it that this is what God wants and it's for the good. If I don't, if these are just words, that means I'm lacking in Bitochem, which is fine. I'm not, a, I'm not a perfect. So someone like me should ask the butler to, to speak to Pari. Someone who even when they're suffering can reach the level where they, they it hurts. The baby is crying, but they have no anger at God because they know that this must be for my good. It's painful. The Rebbe says that crying, when someone steps on your foot, you shout. It's not a contradiction to bitachin. Crying doesn't mean that you don't have bitachin. Being angry at God is the person is not yet on the highest level. The Rebbe never criticized people that were angry at God, just to make that clear. Much better to be angry at God than to be angry at anyone else, because no one else has power other than God. It's God's doing. Whatever happens in our lives is God's doing. It's God's doing. Especially the things that are not directly connected to our freedom of choice. Things happen. But, but that, in a way, it contradicts the free will. I just said, especially that which is not connected to our freedom of choice. I just oh. got it in there before you. That's a big issue. We spent the whole night of voice, and we can speak about this forever. And that's a big theological question. So yes, the question is very well said. Instead of attempting to answer it, let's leave the question open. But aside of that, the mindset is, is that God is running my life, and God wants for me to be part of the keli. So just like I have to chew the food, I have to go work. The more I really have bitachem, that everything is from God, then the less of a keli will be demanded of me to make. And on the other hand, if I don't have such a high level of bitachem, but when it's convenient for me to say, you know what, I don't want to work that hard. I'm not going to work five hours a day. I'm going to work two hours a day. Or I'm not going to work 10 hours. I'll work eight hours a day because I got bitachem. That's not emes. Be consistent. Here we tell a person, be consistent. Within the framework of accepted, be consistent. And, and, and he concludes, just to go through, I want to read through the seven, this is an index, the seven uh, chapters. Chapter number one is going to define what is Bitochen. Chapter number two is going to speak about what helps a person trust another person, because it's a muscle you have to develop, really trusting another. Some people, you see this a lot in marriage, they are unable to trust another, not because the other is not trustworthy, that's something else. Giving up to another is very difficult. He's going to explain how you do that. Number three, he's going to explain right the prerequisites due to which a person is obligated to have trust in God and how that fits in, like we are speaking about today, if I really trust in God, will, will that mean I'm not going to work at all? And a lot of what we touched upon today will be really that which we're going to learn in chapter three. Chapter number four is going to explain the matters regarding which a person should trust in God and which matters in which a person should not trust in God. Because there are matters in which you should not trust in God. And what is that? Mrs. Dower, like you just said, freedom of choice. There is going to be an area where trusting in God is sinful. Poor man comes and knocks on your door and he says, I'm hungry. You tell him, betachem. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Trust in God. That's a sin. Or when someone else suffers, and you say, well, your suffering, that was from God, it's for your good, that's a sin. Yeah. That's a sin. Yeah. When another person suffers, you cry with the other person. If they are crying out to God, you join their cry. So we're going to see. When I'm suffering, then I say, I'm so- it hurts, but this must be for my good. If I can change it. If I could change it, I have to change it. Right? This is sobriety prayer. Right. That's a big that's a big to know. Certain things I can't change. But if I could change some things, then you have to change it. So that's what we'll learn in chapter four. Chapter five will be the difference between how a man who has trust in God will engage in his pursuit to making a living, and how a person with less trust will pursue. You can see the proof will be in the pudding. Again, some of it was in the introduction. When people begin to make a lot of emphasis on the Kli or on the Hishtatlus or on the Siba, that's an indication that they don't really trust God on the highest optimal level. Chapter number six, we're going to explain in which logic dictates that a person must criticize the opinion of those who say that people should engage in the pursuit of worldly pleasures and delay accepting upon themselves the service of God until first they obtain everything they need to obtain. I like all of this religious stuff. First, let me hit my um, portfolio. And, and that's not the right approach. Even though people without God can hit their portfolio. By, by, you know, by working 20 hours a day. And the seventh chapter will be the, the matters that will make a person's bitachin and God become that much more difficult to have. Just like we have to learn how to trust, there's going to be behaviors that I have to abstain from or engage in which will make my bitachin continue easily. And a person, like any other inner part of the person, it's not that I have bitachin or I don't have bitachin. It depends on the day. Today my bitachin is strong. Maybe because today God gave me a lot of blessings. Today it was easy. Tomorrow or yesterday there was a big challenge. That challenged my bitachin. There's nothing wrong with that. We're not static. So we have to constantly make effort direct with bitachin and also to take away secondary things. Like a person can do exercise every day, but if they start eating too much sugar, uh-huh. you're doing the right things, but you, you, you got to get rid of other activities which are contradicting and all of these seven topics will be covered over the seven chapters. And God willing, next week we will start chapter one. Mazel tov. <laughs>